Father, we thank you. We praise you for how good you are. We praise you for what you have revealed to us about heaven. And we praise you for those things that you haven't revealed. But knowing you, God, we know that it's going to be good. And God, I pray that as we continue to look now in this heaven sermon series at what you have revealed, that we would understand too that it's not just great things about our future that you're revealing, but it's things that are meant to change us now. So open our hearts and our minds, we pray, fill us with the Holy Spirit as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're doing this, this heaven sermon series where we've been looking at Revelation 21 through 22. And it, and it wasn't my intent that we would do this sermon series and then go to heaven. Uh, although, you know, that would be great too. But I don't know. I don't know when that will happen for us. But um, we've learned some awesome things so far looking at these last two chapters of the Bible. What have been some of your favorite descriptions? It would be fun to have a conversation with all of you. What, what do you love about what God has revealed? Maybe it's the no more death part of it that we learned in chapter 21. No more crying or pain either. Or, or maybe it's that tree of life that's going to be there giving its, its crop of fruit every month. And it says in the Revelation in, in a couple of different places that we get to partake of it there. Or maybe it's the fact that there's no more curse there. That when sin entered this world God placed the curse as a reminder of our sin. And in heaven that curse will be lifted or maybe it's just simply the fact, like it says in chapter 21, now the dwelling of God is with men. But what is it for you? What, have you? what do you look forward to about heaven? I think we're supposed to think about that. And there are awesome, awesome things for us to look forward to. And again, as Brian and I were talking, we were, we were picturing somebody saying, oh, you Christians, it's all pie in the sky to you, isn't it? And as for me, I'm going to live it up now because now might be all we have. And maybe you've had this thought yourself. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm banking on pie in the sky and there isn't any? Now, I love pie as much, maybe probably more than the next guy. My favorite, by the way, this has nothing to do with my sermon, is cherry apple pie. Try it, the combination of it together. You won't be disappointed. But uh, I love pie. And if I can trade one piece of pie now for an endless supply of pie later, isn't that worth it? Now, is that the way that we're supposed to view things? Is that the way that we're supposed to live our lives? Oh, it's, it's just, you know, it's going to be great there. And yeah, maybe there's some sacrifices that I need to make now. Is that the way that we should view our lives here? Well, what I hope that you're getting from this sermon series is an understanding that yes, it is worth it to store up treasures there. And I'm not sure that there will be pie, but if there's a fruit tree, maybe there will be pie. So maybe that will be my job up there to be pie maker. <laughs> um, there will be treasure there. Because the God of heaven is the same God who we know now, what we should be doing is spending our lives getting to know him better now and serving him now. In, in looking forward to what will come in the future. But it's interesting today, as we look at our passage, we, the last three passages we've looked at have talked about what heaven is going to be like, but our passage today doesn't actually give us all that much new information about heaven. Instead, the focus of the passage today is on how we should live our lives now. I find that very interesting, that for almost the last two chapters of the Bible, God talks about heaven, but he ends by saying, this is what it should mean to you today. In today's passage, you're going to hear Jesus saying the same phrase three times, I am coming soon. 
Now, yes, it's been almost 2,000 2000 years since those words were written. But the idea remains that we need to be ready for Jesus' coming. And by the way, if you want to hear more about what the word soon means, I preached on that last Sunday, and you can go and listen to that. All all the sermons now are online at our website. But uh, just the, the real simple part of it is that God wants us to be ready because we don't know when the second coming of Jesus will happen. He's coming soon. The angel in verse 10 also says the time is near. Now at our house, I don't know how it goes at your house, but at our house, if somebody tells us that they're coming soon, we prepare for them. There are things that we need to do sometimes to get our house to look presentable. I know that all of yours, your houses are just always presentable, but sometimes we have some people in our house that uh, make it a little less than presentable. But... You know, we all know how that goes, right? If you have company coming, you prepare your house. Well, Jesus says three times in this passage, I am coming soon. And it makes me think that there are things that we should be doing to prepare for his coming. We need to live with the end in mind. I've used this quote here, and some of you have mentioned that you like it a lot, so I'm going to use it again. It's from Martin Luther. He says, there are two days in my calendar, this day and that day. I love that one. This day meaning that God has called me to to do what I can to to serve him today. He's called me not to worry about tomorrow. He he tells me to trust him for for the daily bread that he will provide. And we keep our eyes on him today. But also as we do that, we keep our eye on that day. We understand that Jesus is coming again and it matters. And that we should be living now in preparation for him. Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes, things are going to change. So does it matter to you that Jesus is coming again? Well, let me answer that for you. Yes, it does matter. The question is, what are you doing to prepare for his coming? My big idea for today is that Jesus is coming soon. And that fact, that fact should shape our lives now. That fact should shape our lives now. In this Heaven series, I've been trying to get across two ideas to you overall. And today really is kind of just a a conclusion to the series. But the two ideas are that Heaven is very real and it is way better than we can imagine. I want you to understand that God has made it to be a wonderful place, a place that we should look forward to going. And then the second thing I've been trying to get across to you in this sermon series is that the God of Heaven, who has revealed all these wonderful things to us, is the same God who wants a relationship with us right now. And we should pursue Him more and more. So in today's sermon, I basically just want to have those two points stand out for you again. That, that Heaven is real, and that Jesus is coming soon, and, and it should matter, it should shape how we live now. So we're going to look at this passage today in three sections. Revelation 22, and we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read through verse 11. That's the first section we're going to look at today. Jesus is speaking in this verse. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And then John speaks in verse 8. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he, the angel, said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book 
And that's pretty neat because earlier in Revelation, John was told to seal something up. He had been shown something and, and God said, no, no, don't, don't reveal that one. But right now, it says don't seal it up. God wants us to know these things. Do not seal up the words, the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. My first point today, I have three points that I'm going to give you underneath this idea that Jesus is coming soon. First point is that we are to worship God. Verse 7 is the first of these three times in this passage where we see Jesus saying, I am coming soon. And again, like I mentioned before, in verse 10, the angel says, the time is near. So it's this amazing scene where this angel is revealing these wonderful things to the Apostle John. It's just awe-inspiring to him. And, And John, just in his human reaction, he just falls down and starts to worship the angel who had been showing these things to him. And I love what the angel said there in verse 9. Do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you. And he went on to say, Worship God. The angel reminded John that God is the only one who is worthy of worship. And just a real quick point of application here. All too often we're tempted to worship something lower than God. Whether that's something that we have going on in our lives or a person that we look up to or even just ourselves and our own desires. All too often, we tend to worship something much lower than God. But what we really should be doing is, is putting our, lifting our eyes back up to God and worshiping Him. See, I think the, the idea of these verses here, 7 through 11, is, is the idea of worshiping God as the right way to live our lives. And as I've said before, worship isn't just singing, okay? And, and heaven isn't just going to be singing either. That's going to be one of the glorious things that we'll get to do there. There'll be awesome music, we'll have perfect bodies, and we'll get to sing and worship. But worship includes other things as well. In fact, I would say as an umbrella term, the word worship describes anything that we do to honor God, to serve Him, to tell others about Him, to spend time with Him. All of those things can be an act of worship, And those are the things that we should be about doing in our lives. And and in that light, verse 7 makes sense. When Jesus says, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, he's talking about one of the ways we can worship him, by keeping these words. The word keep here also means obey. And here's how it works. God has revealed a bunch of awesome things to us things that he wants us to know, and things that he wants us to obey. So God reveals, and our response of worship is to say, yes, God, I take you at your word, and I want to follow you and to worship you. In the Great Commission, remember what Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what was the next part? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. You see, Jesus wanted his disciples to keep on doing what he had been doing. And one of those things that he had been doing was teaching people to obey God. And in this sense, obeying God becomes part of our worship. So that's what Jesus is asking of us here, is that we would obey what it is that he has revealed to us. That becomes part of our worship. A few years ago, um, our multi-talented harmonica player was also leading a Bible study that I was a part of, and we were going through the book of Revelation. And, and I came to the conclusion, just from my own personal study, that the, I, the, whole, the, the big idea of the whole book of Revelation is worship. 
Yes, it tells us a bunch of awesome things about the end, but really the response that it's looking for from us is worship. Now, I was relieved then when I read two theologians this week who said the same thing. So they agreed with me, or, or vice, I agreed with them, I guess. But one of them knows me. I think I took a class from him, but that, this one is Grant Osborne. He says that worshiping God is the basic message of the whole book. So you want to know, oftentimes we look to Revelation and we try to figure out how is it going to happen, and I think it's okay to do that, but don't miss the point. The point is that we would worship God. J. Ramsey Michaels says a similar thing. He says the concluding command of Revelation is to worship God and Jesus the Lamb now. If you're looking for an interesting study, you might just want to flip through the book of Revelation and notice all of the worship that's in there. There's a lot of it, and it's really great. And it's directed towards God. And when it's not directed towards God, the, the angel says, hey, go to God and do that. God is worthy of worship. He always will be. And in heaven, this, is, this has been one of the wonderful takeaways for this series for me. In heaven, everything we do will be an act of worship. From eating, to having fellowship with other people, to having fellowship with God, all of it will be an act of worship because we will have been made perfect and will live in a perfect place with a perfect God. Everything will be worship. And I think that the response that we should have now then is to set our eyes on God and worship Him now. If He is eternally worthy of worship, we should look to Him now and give our lives to Him, in service to Him, worshiping Him in song, worshiping Him with our lives. And if worship then is the way that we understand this section, verse 11 makes a lot more sense to me. I've kind of before looked at verse 11 and kind of scratched my head, but I think I understand it now. Verse 11 says, Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Some people live a lifestyle that leads them away from God. They do what's vile and wrong. Others have chosen to worship God with their lives by doing what's right and pursuing holiness. And, and obviously, you know, un unfortunately, our lives can be a mixture of both holiness and sin. And I'm not saying that that's okay. I'm not saying that we should settle for it. I'm just saying in reality, that's kind of the way we are. But the point of verse 11, I think, for us who know God, is to say, let's continue to do right. Let's continue to pursue holiness. That's one of the ways that we worship God now, is by continuing to do what's right and holy. And then if we look at the first part of verse 11, that, that's kind of been the head-scratcher part to me. I think that one of the ways that we can take this is as a warning. So if somebody's reading this passage and they look at their life and they say, I'm doing what's wrong. I'm doing what's vile. They should take that as a warning. It's kind of like the parent who says, if you want to miss your snack, keep disobeying me. I, I think that's what we have going on here. A warning. And I think that we, we Christians can also take it as a reminder that there is going to be evil in this world. Before Jesus comes, before everything is made new and perfect, there is going to continue to be evil in this world. Maybe we'll have opportunity to stop some of it, but not all of it. It is going to continue. And our response, ourselves, should be that instead of following that path, of doing what's vile and wrong, we should worship God by pursuing what's right and holy and good. That's worship, and we should do that until Jesus comes. So my first, or my, my, 
I guess it's actually my second, but my, my application for the end of this first part of the message is to worship God now. Worship Him unashamedly. In heaven, that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of eternity is worshiping Him with our whole lives. So let's be about that now. So what do you need to do in your life to make sure that you're worshiping God unashamedly? One of the ways that I think of this is that some people have given a portion of their lives to God. And you think about perhaps the churchgoer who on Sunday says, yeah, I'm going to follow God. But then the rest of the days of the week kind of slips back into those old patterns. Or you think about the person who, uh, you know, loves God but doesn't really like to sing to him. And, you know, I don't want to be too hard on those people because I understand what it means to have a bad voice and to be told that you have a bad voice. And uh, I understand that there might be a little bit of shame in singing out loud. But at the same point, is God worthy? The answer is yes to that question. God is worthy. And, and we, should, we should devote our whole lives to him and, and worship him unashamedly by what we do, by what we say, by what we sing. Let's worship God. Because if that's what we're going to do in heaven all eternity long, we should get at that now, too. Okay, second point. I want to move on. Uh, verses 12 through 17. This is Jesus speaking again. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. My second point today is that God will judge and reward. God will judge and reward. Now I know that this idea of judgment can sound very unpleasant. Uh, I've spent portions of time in two different countries where the, the high school students have to take an entrance exam. Um, some of you have, I was thinking about the Weavers, you've probably met these college students, who, or the high school students, who all their lives live in fear of this test that they know they're going to have to take. From basically the time they begin school, they are taught about this one test that they will take that determines basically where they're going to go to college. It's not like our SAT or ACT here where you get a score and then you go apply to colleges. It's more like you take this test and you get slotted into a college. And it just determines so much of their life. And you can imagine then that they live with a mixture of fear and expectation for this test. And, and in Turkey, what some of the people would do is after school, their, their parents would hire a tutor for them or send them to a special school where they could be trained how to take this test better. But it, it's this really interesting dynamic in these countries that these people live their whole lives looking forward to one test. Now what about us? We are clearly told in these verses that some people will get to go into this wonderful city, the new heaven and the new earth. But it also says clearly in verse 15 that some are outside, that they don't get to go in. You see, heaven isn't the only option. 
Someone asked me if after this heaven sermon series, are, are we going to do a hell sermon series too? And, and my answer is no. We, we sure could. Um, we're not, but um, hell is a very real place. I've been trying to help you understand that heaven is a very real place and it'll be way better than we can imagine. Well, the flip side is true too. Hell is a very real place and it will be way worse than we could imagine. So how can we make sure we're on the right side of this judgment? Well, verse 14 talks about those who have washed their robes. They are the ones who get to go into heaven. So how is it that they get their robes washed? Well, Revelation 7.14 says, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 14 here in our chapter also talked about entering into the gates of the city. Well, at the end of chapter 21, the very last verse, it says, Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those are the ones who get to enter. So as I said, each of the last three Sundays, the key question about heaven is will you be in or out? And here what we learn, it's those whose robes have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. So getting in has everything to do with the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And and being left outside then would have to do with rejecting Jesus. You see, there's only two options when it comes to Jesus and our response to him. Either we receive him and give our lives to him, or we reject him. There's really... On Judgment Day, there is no in-between. There's no, oh yeah, well I kind of received him, but then I walked away. You know, all of that will be very clear on Judgment Day. And we need to take it very seriously that it's either in or out. It's either received him, gave our lives to him, walked with him, followed him, or rejected him. Because God will judge, we need to receive Jesus Christ. And now, fortunately, God, that's exactly what God wants us to do. And by the way, when you give your life to Jesus, he gives you life to the full. That's his desire for us, is an abundant life here. So we are to give our lives to him. So that's the judging side of it. But there's also the reward side of it. And this is, a, this is an interesting one that I hope you know. There are rewards in heaven. Look look what Jesus said in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Jesus rewards according to what we have done. Now, don't misunderstand. Now, we've moved on from entrance into heaven, so we're not talking about how we enter into heaven. That happens by receiving Jesus Christ. That happens because of God's grace given to us as a gift. For those who have received Jesus Christ, we get to enter into heaven. That is a gift. But now we're talking about rewards, which is something different. And the message from Jesus here is that he will reward each of us according to what we have done. In Matthew 6.20, we're told to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And actually, there are lots of verses in the Bible that talk about rewards. It's something that God has wanted us to know. One of those verses, Hebrews 6.10, says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. See, God sees what we do here. He he looks at the service that we give to others and, and wants us to know that there are rewards for such things. 
So what we do here matters. And God is so serious about wanting us to live the right way here that he's told us he'll reward us if we live the right way. I, I think that some Christians kind of shudder at this idea of reward and say, no, 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 it's enough for me just to get into heaven. Don't, don't have to tell me about any other sort of rewards. That'll be enough. Well, God's the one who tells us Jesus here at the end of the Bible says, I'm going to reward people according to what they've done. God wants you to know this. God wants you to invest your life in what will end up in reward. So it's not wrong for you to want to do something and, and to understand that God will reward you for your faithful work. Now, we have to be careful that we don't turn you know, our own desires into an idol here. We, we don't just do things because I want things. All, all along the way, we should be thinking about worshiping God and doing what we do to honor Him. But if that's our hard attitude, God wants you to know that there's reward. So there's eternal treasures. Now, on the negative side, let's take that as a reminder not to waste our lives here. And, and every one of us, I think, and, and this is a humbling thought for me as I think about myself personally, Every one of us can come up with some things that we're doing in our lives right now that probably don't matter. Things that we're really doing to waste our time instead of to invest our time. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about rest here. Like, God actually wants us to rest. That's one of the ways that we can worship Him. But I'm talking about some of the other things that we invest our time in. Some of the other things that we do that we're only doing because we want to do them and they're not giving glory to God. And, and the message here is don't waste your life. Live for what will bring reward, what will bring honor to God and reward to you. Because think about it this way. If you have a job, would you rather get paid minimum wage for it or would you rather get paid more? If you're going to do the job, you might as well get paid more, right? Well, think of it this way. Would you rather get into heaven with no rewards or with a big pile of them? If you want rewards, I think the message here is that we should work towards them, that we should serve God and honor Him. You see, Jesus Himself is the one who will reward us. These verses talk a lot about Jesus in verse 13. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In verse 16, He's the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. See, all of those verses point to Jesus Christ as God the Son and as the one who will reward us for what we have done for Him. He is the fulfillment of prophecy in the Bible. And one of the things he says here at the end of the Bible is that he's going to reward us. And then I love in that light how this section ends. Verse 17. I think we can take it as an invitation. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You see, Jesus wants us to come to him. He wants to give us the water of life. And who's this invitation for? Whoever. Whoever is thirsty, whoever wishes. One of the things I love about the Bible is this invitation that God gives. In Isaiah 55, 1, it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Jesus also gave an invitation during his earthly ministry. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, what God wants for us is a relationship with him where he will take care of all of our needs. 
That's the picture of heaven where everything is taken care of perfectly by him. And that's the kind of relationship he wants us to live with him now where we trust him. Where yes, we do our part to do faithful work but that we trust him to take care of all of our needs. He invites us to himself. Our response is to come. Now, if there's any of you out there who don't yet know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it's obvious the invitation is to come to Him, to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And for those of us who do know Jesus, the invitation is that we would continue to drink deeply of Him, trusting Him to sustain us through all of life. So this passage here, ends with an invitation. Our last passage ended with a warning. And I think we need to look at both of those and realize there's something important coming. There's a judgment coming. There's a reward coming. And we need to live with a a right view of that. And as as I was thinking about that, what is the right response for us to have in light of what is coming? And I thought about a verse in Exodus 20.20 where um, God was interacting with the people And it said, uh, Moses told them, don't be afraid, on the one hand, don't be afraid. God's not here to kill you today. Don't be afraid of him. But within the same verse, he says, I want the fear of God to remain with you. So we're to have a healthy fear of God, recognizing that he is the one who will judge. But it's not a fear that should cause us to, in one sense, quake in our boots. It's a fear that we should recognize that in God's grace he wants to save us and rescue us so we don't need to be afraid of him if we know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord we don't need to be afraid yet we carry around a healthy fear of him because of who God is and because of his grace for us okay and then moving on here verses 20 or excuse me verses 18 to 21 I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. We're told here, not to take away or add to any of the prophecies in this book. And specifically, it's talking about Revelation. But it's very reminiscent of of two times in the Old Testament where it said, don't take away or add anything. You see, there's a timeless principle here that what God has revealed, we are simply to believe. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. We believe it. We take it as God's word. Did I mention my third point here is that God's word is final. God's word is final. Um... Jesus told us that God's word will be our judge. John 12:48, he said, There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. So I think what it's saying here is that we need to believe God's word. I, I don't think it's necessarily saying that we have to understand everything perfectly about it. There's lots of things that I don't fully understand here. But what it is saying is that we need to take it as God's word. There are a lot of people out there who don't take God's word as God's word. One famous example of that is Thomas Jefferson. He took out his scissors and cut out the parts of the Bible that he didn't like. Somebody told me the other day that you can actually buy one of his Bibles online with those parts cut out of it. There's also a group of people 
closer to our day and age here, called themselves the Jesus Seminar. They, they lock themselves in a room and they vote on whether the things in the Bible that are said about Jesus or his words are actually true or not. I, I fear for such people. We are not to stand as judge over God's word. It will be our judge. Now, we do have to evaluate. We don't just take anything as God's word. There's heresies out there claiming to be God's word. But we have God's word in our hands. And we need to take it as God's word and listen to it and submit to it. Then moving on, verse 20, Jesus says, I am coming soon. That's the third time he said it. And I love the response right after that. Amen, come Lord Jesus. That should be the response of our hearts as well. That longing for him to come and to make everything new. To bring to fulfillment all that he has said he will bring to fulfillment. That should be the cry of our hearts to say, come Lord Jesus and bring that. Now even as I say that, I recognize that there are, there are things that we would like to finish here on earth. Uh, watching our kids grow up. Or for some of you, maybe it's getting married. Or maybe there's lost people that you want to continue to share the gospel with. And, and those are all good things that we should be working towards. But at the same point, we should have this, this cry of our heart saying, Amen, come Lord Jesus. We want you to come and to bring about the fullness of salvation. Jesus Christ came once. He came as a baby. He grew up to be a man. He took our sins upon himself and he died. It says in Hebrews that he came to bear our sin, but then it says again that he will come again to bring about the fullness of our salvation. For those of us that have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it is right to say on the one hand that we have received salvation, but yet we wait for the finality of it. And that's what Jesus will bring when he comes again. So amen, come Lord Jesus. We look forward to your coming, Jesus. Our first section today ended with a warning. Our second ended with an invitation. And now this one ends with expectation. We look forward to his coming. See, when Jesus says he's coming again, he means it. He wants us to be ready for that day. He wants us to look forward to that day. And until he comes, like it says in verse 21, the grace, his grace will be with us. You can take it to the bank that God will be gracious to you and you can take it to the bank that Jesus will come again. That's what we need to sustain us, that grace to sustain us until he comes again. So here's my conclusion. Do you look forward to Jesus' coming? Jesus Christ is coming again. Does that matter to you? What are you doing now to prepare for that? See, it matters couple ways in terms of who will get into heaven and who won't as such, as such we need to take this passage as a warning and if there's any of you out there who aren't sure about that please come and talk with me or another leader you must know that even today you need to know that see Jesus told the story of a rich man who went to hell after he died and when he was in agony there he begged that somebody would go and tell his brothers who were still living to warn them not to go to that place of torment and do you remember the response there? the response was let them listen to God's word it's already been revealed let them listen see that's our warning too 
God has shown us the way of eternal life and it's only through Jesus Christ. But the great news is that there's this invitation to come. God wants us to have a relationship with him. So it's a warning, it's a promise. Grant Osborne, that same theologian I mentioned before, he said the return of Jesus is both a promise and a warning. Jesus will come again, and perhaps you need to think more seriously about what that means for your life right now. Like I said, perhaps some of you maybe need to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, or perhaps some of you need to think more deeply about how you're investing your life in Him today, how you're preparing yourself for Him. Don't live for things that won't last. Store up treasures in heaven. See, the end of the story is that Jesus is coming again. Isn't that neat? We're at the end of the Bible here. And God told us what's going to happen. Jesus will come again. That fact should shape our lives now. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, we praise you that you have revealed this to us, specifically this fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. I pray that that we would let the truth of that have its full impact in our lives and that we would live our lives now in light of that truth, investing our lives in you, storing up treasures in heaven, worshiping you, helping others to be ready. So God, we give of ourselves to you. We want to honor you with our lives and we look forward to that time when we can be with you in heaven where everything's perfect and we'll live with you forever. But for now, God, we thank you for your grace and we thank you that you've revealed your message to us and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.